Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Hello and welcome to our new short format servings of consciously prepared brain food designed to improve your mental fitness. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen, your host. For more than 12 years, we've been proudly and consistently crafting Harvesting Happiness and sharing it with you. Each week, we spotlight diverse thinkers and doers who are contemporary trendsetters and change agents devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. We invite you to listen up and change the way you think about human happiness. Our award-winning content is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Alrighty then, let's dive in. This episode offers psychosocial education designed to inspire and motivate our listeners. The information provided does not constitute a therapeutic relationship nor a substitute for professional mental health care. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, call 911, go to your nearest emergency room, or for listeners in the United States, text 988 for the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining me on today's show, where you will learn the do's and don'ts of mentally muscular couples. My guest today is Amy Morin, who is a psychotherapist, internationally best-selling author of six books on mental strength, and the award-winning host of the Mentally Stronger podcast. She's been a a friend to the show, and I'm so happy to welcome her back uh, to talk about her newest book, 13 Things Mentally Strong Couples Don't Do, fix what's broken, develop healthier patterns, and grow stronger together. Welcome back, Amy. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. I appreciate it. Well, I love our talks. And I also want to mention that you have one of the most popular TEDx talks of all time. You have kind of a unique, fun, dream-like living situation, which I think is always cool to share with others. Amy lives on a sailboat. Beat that. (laughs) (laughs) thank you it's definitely fun it's hurricane season down here in the florida keys so this is the one time of the year where i do sometimes think is this really what i want to be doing but other than that it's a great life a great life and a fertile one for all this creativity that you write and you share with the public let's just jump right in to some of the things that mentally strong couples don't do sure because you're a list girl this is your thing I am. And I always talk about, you know, if you, couples just give up the bad habits that are keeping them stuck, like then their good habits become so much more effective. And as a therapist, I would see so many people who be like, yeah, we go on date night, yet we're still struggling. Why is that? So I really wanted to point out, maybe you have a few bad habits. Some of the most common ones that I talk about in the book are that they don't blame each other for their problems. That What? And that's what happens in the therapy office. People usually come in because they want me to fix the other person, right? Like I'm not here because I want to work on this. I'm here because my partner has a problem or my partner acts out, or can you just tell them that they need to be doing something differently? And they really get stuck in that blame game uh, that they don't ignore their problems. Of course, we want to address some problems, but not all. You don't have to bring up every single problem that arises. If you're frustrated that your partner left their socks in the middle of the floor, you don't need to sit down meeting about it. But there are so many problems that couples ignore for years and they both kind of look the other way that by the time they come to therapy, 
sometimes these problems have turned into something huge and they just don't know how to address them at that point. Let me stop you there and talk about this one for a minute, because when we talk about, you know, you don't need to get into it with leaving socks on the floor. However, sometimes the socks on the floor have a bigger meaning than the socks on the floor. Correct. And so that's what we often do in therapy is figure out, you know, is your frustration really the problem? Is it a symptom of a bigger problem? Like what's going on here? And because the blowups often happen about the socks in the middle of the floor. But as you say, that's usually just the icing on the cake. The bigger problem is somebody feels disrespected. Somebody feels like their partner is not pitching in and helping out enough. And because of that, there's a symbolic meaning we make out of that. Like if you left your socks in the middle of the floor, it's because you don't value my time. You don't value me as a person. And it can turn into something much bigger. And when we don't address those problems, the bigger underlying problems, then resentment builds. And that leads to all sorts of other bad habits. So it's really important to take a look at what problems am I addressing? What problems am I ignoring? And how do we tackle these problems together? I think it's important to point out that having problems and problem solving are good things. They are. We will never be without problems. Like that's just not going to happen. I know sometimes couples will be like, well, we never fight. Well, it's good if you never raise your voice or you never call each other names. But on the other hand, like you should have disagreements sometimes, or you should be able to talk about different perspectives on things like money or parenting or uh, what you want to do on your next vacation. Like really want to make sure both people can speak up, offer their viewpoints, and that you do have ways to solve those problems. Life is inherently full of problems. And to have a process of how, you know, how do you decide what to do? One person says, I want to move across the country and the other one doesn't. Who wins? The person who says, speaks the loudest, the person who says, it's too painful for me to continue, or the person who says, no, I've got it all figured out and they act like they don't care. So many things go into the way that we solve problems as couples, yet most of us never take a step back and say, what is our process for solving problems? Talk a little bit more about uh, some of the the don'ts, because you talk about uh, there are a couple that come to mind about the don't keep secrets. I mean, that's the one that I keep going to because there's certain things that I feel like my partner, he just does not need to know. And, and, and they're kind of mundane, but I want you to sort of explain what you mean by that. Yeah. So this one, it's important to differentiate the difference between secrecy and privacy. So if your friend comes to you and says, hey, I'm kind of having some marital issues or I'm going through this personal problem you might decide not to tell your partner. It's none of their business, perhaps, what your friend is going through. And that's not keeping a secret, but you're just holding your friend's information and and confidence. And that's part of your private relationship, your private friendship with somebody. Or you don't need to tell them everything that that goes on uh, in your life. You and I were talking before about certain habits. Maybe your partner (laughs) doesn't need to know if you're plucking a chin hair in the bathroom, right? Not something you need to come out in and out. So those little things aren't, harmful to the relationship because those are the things that we keep private. Sometimes couples disagree on issues surrounding privacy. Like and so it can be important to talk about it. Like if you're if an ex contacts you on social media, how would I expect you to to respond to that? Would I want you to come and tell me? Most people would say yes, I'd absolutely want you to tell me that information. So it's really about our motivation when we don't tell somebody something, is it because we're afraid of their reaction? Are we afraid that we're going to get in trouble, that we don't want them to be angry? Or is it really just an issue of privacy? Again, even if you're in a long-term committed relationship, 
you still have a right to hold some things in your life private. Um, and that's a healthy thing. I think that's a really important point. And oftentimes, the longer we're in our coupledom, the more fused we could become, you know, where it's like my desires or my my thoughts should be similar to the others. And that's not the case. In fact, the longer the relationship, the more healthy the relationship, the individuality is prized and celebrated. Yes. And we want to be able to grow as individuals. And that's what keeps each us interested in each other, being interested in one another and excited and still learning about somebody after all these years is part of what keeps people together. If you just kind of morph into the same person who shares the same social media account, only talks to the same people all day, basically has the same life, it's hard to then keep passion or excitement. Or why why do you want to sit down then and have a, a wonderful conversation? Because you already know everything the other person's going to say. So we definitely want to have our own separate lives so that we do have some things that are private too. Talk a little bit about boundaries because you write about that healthy or mentally fit or mentally strong couples don't hesitate to set boundaries with each other, which might be counterintuitive at first. Right, because we need boundaries in the relationship with one another. And it might be a boundary of... I'm not comfortable with us loaning money to to your sister, or I'm not comfortable with my mother stopping over at random times during the day, or <laughs> I'm not comfortable with a, a friend staying on our couch. Yes, they're going through a hard time, but I don't want them moving in with us. So it's important for the couple to have a, a boundary against the outside world because you want to make sure that you are protecting your relationship, but it's okay to have boundaries with each other too. Like maybe you say, I don't want you to go through my phone. I don't want you to have all of my social media passwords. I don't want you uh, looking up where I am all the time. Sometimes couples have a thing where they can check one another's location on the phone, and that might be a problem. You might say, you know, I don't want you to know everything about me all the time, uh, and I have those boundaries, or I'm going to take $25 a week and spend it on anything I want. comes back to that privacy and secrecy issue, and maybe I don't have to account for that. I'm allowed to spend it on anything I want, but on the other hand, we have a shared account. And when it comes to that kind of money, then we need to make sure that we are both responsible with it. And our boundaries might be, let's not loan it out to other people, or let's not give money away unless we've discussed it first, or we're not going to buy something that costs more than $50 without talking to each other first. We all have these unwritten rules, but a lot of times we don't really sit down and discuss what are our boundaries. Another item on the list is mentally strong couples don't try to fix each other. This is a really good one. Like, I love you. You're fabulous. Now change, <laughs> you know? Yes. And we see so much of that in therapy where somebody brings in their partner and says, you know, like, now, honey, if you just did X, Y, or Z, then you'd be better. Or I'm just trying to make you a better person. We see it often with addiction where somebody's desperate to get their partner to stop drinking or stop doing something that's destructive. And which makes sense. You don't want to see somebody that you love sabotaging and it affects you too. It could affect your finances and every aspect of your life. But sometimes people put so much energy into trying to fix the other person that they lose sight of what their goals are, what their life is. And, and then they come to the conclusion, I can't be happy or I can't have a fulfilling life unless you do something different. And it's not always about big things like addiction. Sometimes it's small things where somebody says, you know, you... You spend too much time watching TV, so I want you to be a more active person and get out of the house more often. And while it's good to want the best for your spouse and we want them to be healthy people, 
it's when you're so invested in making them different and that you put all of that energy into changing somebody that it becomes destructive. Let's talk a little bit about going back to setting boundaries where there's procrastination and and therefore frustration. How, how do you counsel people to work with that? You know, one person is a procrastinator. The other is a, a more of a preemptive list doer. And sometimes that doesn't always run smoothly. <laughs> That's a good question, because what we often see is people get into this pattern where the procrastinator has a more relaxed view of I'll get to it when I get to it. And the partner is like their anxieties on the rise and they're like, well, hurry up, hurry up. Have you done that yet? They sound like they're nagging or that they're rushing. The other person then gets frustrated. Sometimes uh, the partner that doesn't procrastinate just takes matters into their own hands. So I think it's important for us to sometimes just take a step back and look at our personality differences. How do you solve problems? How do you manage these things? And how can we work together so that we aren't just working against each other? So if you know somebody else procrastinates, don't give them a life or death uh, project that's going to give you so much anxiety that that you can't stand it. But on the other hand, you know, if they forget to to do something or they wait until the last minute and they do make a mistake, it might not affect your life that much. You know, if they are planning a party and they don't get around to it until the night before to actually start planning it, it may not be as bad as you're imagining to be able to take a step back and figure out, okay, how do I manage myself? And I think a lot of things in a healthy relationship, it really boils down to asking yourself that question. Like right now, do I need to control how I feel or do I need to control the situation? Sometimes we try to control situations rather than just saying, no, my job right now is to just manage my own anxiety and not necessarily try to change what my partner's doing. I think that's really important, especially the older that we get and the longer the relationship is. You tend to know one another pretty well. You know each other's buttons and I'm speaking from personal experience because I do live with a procrastinator. <laughs> but I, it's like, it, is this person's procrastination really prohibiting me from loving that person? And I think that that's like to see the bigger picture becomes super important. Yes, because I think sometimes people are quick to label their partners like if they're lazy or they uh, they're just not motivated enough. And when we label somebody with something like that, we look for behavior that confirms it. And we kind of overlook any behavior or evidence to the contrary. So if I decide my partner's kind of messy or they're lazy or they're procrastinator, I'll just look for evidence that reinforces that belief yeah. all day long. And there's research on this too. And I talk about it in the book, how many times we, when we get into an unhealthy cycle or a, a rough patch, we just really magnify the things about our partners that kind of annoy us and the, yeah. the unhealthy things. Just We just notice those things so much more and then we screen out all of the positive things about them. Well, we tend to, instead of looking in the mirror at ourselves to figure out where we are at with our distress, we want to look outward and see the other person is wrong when they're just, they're just being themselves, right? They're just doing them. <laughs> exactly, yes. And, you know, the other thing is I, I think... I want to be clear to say that for me, procrastination and laziness are two different things. You know, that, that that's right. a very separate issue. Yeah, there's tons of reasons yes. why people procrastinate. Sometimes it's anxiety. Sometimes that's just, they function better that way. Sometimes it's just because that's how they operate. But to somebody who isn't a procrastinator, it's easy to draw conclusions that are like, you don't care, you're lazy, you uh, aren't invested in this. And 
it's easy to draw all of those conclusions. And when people do that, they then think, okay, this person's doing this on purpose, or they just don't care about those things that I care deeply about. And being able to have that conversation is what we're talking about, right? Like to be able to keep that dialogue open, be able to explain where we're coming from, not personalize it. Because like so often, I think that we tend to personalize the behavior of the other and really people just do what they do, right? Exactly. And to know that while you can't fix somebody, you can't change them, we can definitely influence people. And any relationship is kind of like a dance. And if you've ever tried to force somebody to dance in a certain way, you know, it doesn't go well if you see somebody that gets dragged (laughs) out on the dance floor. But at the same time, when somebody's dancing with you and you change your steps, they kind of change their steps based on what you do. Not because you told them that they had to, but just because that's how it works. And a relationship is the same. When I change my behavior, my partner's behavior is going to change. And so while you can't control the other person, you can certainly control your own behavior, how you respond to them and how you are proactive about certain things. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we will continue the conversation with Amy Morin. She is the author of 13 Things Mentally Strong Couples Don't Do, Fix What's Broken, Develop Healthier Patterns, and Grow Stronger Together. You can also check out her podcast, The Mentally Stronger Podcast. To learn more, please go to amymorinlcsw.com on Twitter, amymorinlcsw, and Facebook and Instagram, Amy Morin Author. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back. Hang on, before we take that pause, let's talk about how much great food and happiness go hand in hand. And thanks to HelloFresh, my life has gotten a whole lot tastier and happier. The holidays are just around the corner, and that means a hectic season when things can get a little stressful. And if you're anything like me, your time is precious, and outsourcing awesome deliverable meal kits saves time money, and takes the guesswork out of stocking up the fridge. HelloFresh delivers top-quality, farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and delicious seasonal recipes. You can even host your holiday gatherings with HelloFresh Market. This is no-brainer convenience sent right to your front door. Skip trips to the market and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easier and more joyful. HelloFresh makes eating well a snap with healthy and affordable plans to fit every lifestyle. They've taken the stress out of cooking and given me more time for fun and relaxation with my family. This makes me extra happy. Join me in subscribing to HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit, and switch it up with sister brands, Green Chef, and Every Plate all with healthy menus designed to satisfy your taste buds. One of my all-time favorite dishes is the one-pot Thai coconut turkey soup from the Quick and Easy Recipe Collection. My honey and I cook it up together in under 30 minutes. Did you know that HelloFresh offers so much more than delicious dinners? HelloFresh can help take the hassle out of every meal with easy breakfasts, quick lunches, satisfying snacks, and mouth-watering desserts. Go to HelloFresh.com slash HHFree and use code HHFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash HHFree with code HHFree. Now let's take that pause. Each day we have the intellectual freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable, regardless of external circumstance. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health, urge them to seek professional support because good psychological health is vital 
in achieving a satisfying life. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for psychosocial educational resources to boost emotional and social intelligence. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness? Sharing is caring. Pay it forward by spreading the word to your tribe through social media. Find us at Harvesting Happiness on Facebook and me at Lisa Kamen on Twitter. And we're back. But before we get back to it, it's that time of year again. Time to talk about holiday gift-giving goodies. In my humble experience, taking good care of my body and mind all help me harvest greater happiness. With colder temperatures upon us, it's time to winterize your self-care routine. And sharing products that contribute to happiness is one of my holiday habits. That's why this season I'm gifting Way's great hair, body, and fragrance products to my tribe. Thanks to Way Hair Care Products, my once flat, limp, and dull hair is now bouncier and shinier. Way offers a complete hair care solution that promotes fuller looking, healthier feeling, and happier hair for everyone. Fine, medium, or thick hair, Way has got you covered. My newest favorite is Way's best selling multitasking hair oil that smooths out the frizz, seals split ends, and keeps color from fading. Regardless of your hair type, Way's hair oil will rejuvenate your tresses to be healthier and more vibrant, not to mention smell incredible like walking through your favorite perfume shop. This holiday, give way better gifts with bestsellers like their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, and fragrances. Tis the season to get away and save 15% off site-wide when you give the gift of way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com for 15% off site-wide and enter promo code H-H. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com for 15% off with code H-H. Now let's get back to it. And we're back talking with Amy Morin about the do's and don'ts of mentally muscular couples. Let's get back to it. So Amy, let's get back to the list. One of the things that you talk about in the book is that Mentally strong couples don't use their emotions as weapons. And I'm just eager to talk about this with you because this is where a lot of us do go. It is. And I think it's tempting sometimes when we raise our voice to be like, oh, this is just, I'm just sharing my feelings with you. But then when we uncover like what's really underneath that, you're showing tons of anger, you're pretending like you're just showing your feelings and that it's okay to, to talk and communicate, but really you're communicating something else. Or I've worked with a lot of couples who will say things like, well, my, I can't do that because I have anxiety. My partner knows that. And they kind of just shut down. And when we look at what's really going on, it's often anger, anxiety, these things that are used as weapons. And people will pretend like they're helpless. Like, you know, I can't talk about money because of my temper. Or, you know, I can't make these phone calls because I have anxiety. Or you expect too much of me, but I have a lot of stress right now. And they just really shut down or they're using their emotions in a way to try to get their partner to behave in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And it's more of a manipulation tactic rather than a genuine struggle with emotion regulation. And this applies not just to our romantic partners. This applies to any relationship, whether it's an intimate family member or a, a co-worker. I mean, people tend to weaponize their emotions. They do. You know, when your boss raises their voice, they might be angry, but they might also just be trying to get employees to behave a certain way. And it's not something that we talk about very often. We tend to think that when people are expressing their emotions, if they 
talk about their feelings, then somehow it must be genuine. But that's not always the case. In fact, it's quite quite often. And when we interviewed people for the book, about 37% of people said, yeah, my partner definitely uses their emotions as a weapon sometime. And so I think we're starting to recognize this more and more because it used to be the idea was if somebody says, well, I'm just expressing how I feel, okay, it was okay for them to act like a jerk. And now we're catching up to the idea like, no, you can express your feelings in a different way. It's okay to feel something and experiencing an emotion is one thing, but the way you express it is something different. And the flip side of it is somebody who is um, manipulating the situation with their emotions and not really being emotionally honest. In other words, they might cry, right? Yes. Can't, I can't take it. This is the worst experience of my life. And the other person might say, well, hang on, you need to get a, a grip on reality here. This is a really terrible situation and we need to pay attention. And the other person may escalate because they're trying to get that person to snap out of it. I'm thinking of that moonstruck moment, you know, the snap out of it, Loretta. Right. So it goes both ways. It certainly does. And sometimes people will say things like, you know, I just, I have too much stress, so I can't handle the taxes this year. You have to do it. But on the other hand, sometimes a partner will get mad and, and raise their voice and say something and the other person's like, oh, I better do this. So it's, I think it's just so important for us to take a closer look at our emotions, how we experience them, how we express them. And it goes back to decision making. Sometimes couples get into this almost competition of how much pain they're in. Like, I can't stand it. If we have to move to a new city, then I'll be crushed. So therefore, we have to stay here. And the other person says, well, I'll be crushed if we if we don't move or I'm going to be crushed if if it doesn't go my way. And like, how do you decide who wins? Whoever says that they're in the most pain gets gets to have their dream come true and the other person doesn't. So I think it's so important for us to just take a look at how do we show empathy for each other? You want to believe your partner when they're saying, hey, I'm really anxious or I'm sad. And you want to be supportive of one another. But you just want to make sure that you don't break trust by exaggerating your emotions or using them in a way that's really about a manipulation tactic. Another form of a manipulation tactic, the the quantum you always. Yeah. Right? Like you always do this. You always do that. That's unfair. That's like not fighting fair. That's not cool. Right. And <laughs> on the flip side is the you never, you never listen to me. You never do anything. You never uh, want to do all the things I want to do without being able to give those specific examples and to be able to right in the moment, be able to say, all right, let's talk about this. But those sweeping generalizations could certainly be harmful. What about the deflector? The one who doesn't fight fair in the sense you're, you're talking about something, you're having an argument, which is not such a bad thing sometimes. And the other person will sort of throw the curveball. Well, what about the time when you did this or that, that was kind of similar, but wait, no, 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 dude, we're talking about this time, you know? And that is a common tactic of bringing up all the times. If you're going to say that I hurt you, I'm going to bring up the 400 times that that I felt hurt. Or I'm going to be like, wait, you're mad about that? Well, what about what you did yesterday? Yeah, as a way to try to say, let's derail the conversation and not taking responsibility. If my feelings are hurt, then it's my job to address that in the moment, not save that up for the next time when you mention that you're upset about something and then I toss it all back at you. At the kitchen sink argument, right? That's kind of what I call it. Like you're you're upset about one thing and then sort of every little transgression in the history of the relationship is brought into the conversation. It causes everybody to spark out. Not And cool. sometimes it's not on purpose. So we know that memories in our brain are stored kind of like in a file cabinet. So when you're angry, 
and you feel angry, all of a sudden you'll remember every other time you've been angry. So all of a sudden you start taking out all these files, not because you necessarily mean to drag up all of those things, but those memories are all triggered in the exact same part of your brain. So when you remember that one time you're angry, you can quickly remember 17 other times that you felt that emotion. That's good to be aware of. You know, I didn't think of it in that way, you know, to have the awareness that we're getting into sort of the the stew pot right. <laughs> of, of emotions. And that's where being uh, able to self-regulate and self-soothe is so important, right? Because it helps de-escalate the situation. It does. And to recognize when your emotions are genuinely to that point that you're not going to have a productive conversation and then to have some skills. So sometimes couples will say, well, we take a break, but when she walks off, I follow her because we're not done the conversation yet, or I feel abandoned when she walks off. So it's important to find ways to say, well, let's take a break, but we're going to come back and revisit it. You don't just want to walk away from a discussion about money and and leave it hanging. You yeah. want to say, you know, I need 20 minutes to go for a walk. And then when I come back, I'll feel calmer. And then we could discuss this in a more productive way. I love the timeout, right? Like we put ourselves in timeout. Grownups, true grownups are able to put themselves in timeout. Yeah, I guess is and then, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong about with doing that. But to be able to have the self-awareness to know my anger is starting to rise. I need to take action now before I get to that point. And from the research, we know too that when as our emotion goes up, our logic goes down. So if you were to take an IQ test when you're really angry, you would score terribly on it because we're not as bright when we're angry. And so you want to make sure if you're going to sit down and have a serious conversation, whether it's about money or parenting or some other disagreement, you don't want to be angry. You need your IQ as high as it possibly can be. You want to be calm when you have that conversation. Yes, yes. Calm and clever and able to navigate, you know, from a very, very grounded place. And um, I, I get it. Let, let's talk about um, neglecting the partnership. Because again, when the longer we're in our relationships, the more comfortable we become. And people who are in healthy, strong relationships don't do that. Right. It's tough not to do though, because we're like, ah, oh, my, you know, my job needs a certain amount of energy and effort. My uh, perhaps aging parents, my children, my uh, friends, my extended family, all of these people in our lives are vying for our attention. These certain things that we have to do, all of these responsibilities that we have. So it's really easy to be like, well, I'll address my relationship later, or yeah. we'll spend time together later or when things slow down. How often do we say that? Like, oh, when things slow down a little bit, then I'll figure that out. But life really never slows down. It's fairly constant that things are busy. And when we have certain seasons in our life when maybe you can't put in as much energy, if you're caring for an elderly sick parent, that may take a lot of your spare time for a while. But have a conversation about that that says, you know, and after work and in the evenings, I'm not going to be able to be home very much right now because I have this other thing going on. But how do we still take care of our relationship? And it might be that you connect for 10 minutes a day where you just sit and talk without any outside distractions, but you make sure that you set that time aside so that you can connect. And then to say, you know, like, and what are we going to do to keep nurturing and growing our relationship? Because boredom kills relationships when we get stuck in that rut and we get into that cycle of just kind of like, ah, you go to the same restaurant every once in a while, but the fun stuff is for the kids or the exciting stuff is what we do with our friends on a girlfriend's weekend one one weekend a year, but we don't do exciting things with our partners. And that can really be 
unhealthy for our relationship. And it's actually one of the biggest reasons why relationship dies. It's not because of having too much conflict. It's because people have neglected their relationships to the point that they just grow apart. So keeping it fresh, keeping it curious, changing things up. These are some of the ways I'm hearing you suggest that we nurture our relationships. Right. Invest time and do exciting things together. So when you do something fun, your brain doesn't really care who's next to you. You'll like that person a lot better. And it's really important to like your partner after after you've been together for five, 10 years. And so you want to go do really fun things together, whether that for you as a couple that's going to a park or a museum, or it means that you go do something exciting, you travel to a new city. Make sure you're doing fun things together and then you still like each other and you have a strong friendship there too. Good point. Like when we're undergoing really stressful times, whether it's raising children or tending to older parents or the workload is really, really high, taking time to to enjoy one another and do something fun and different is important. And it, it does revitalize things. It goes a long way, right? It's like medicine. Yeah, it certainly does. And then when we have fun together, we feel better. We feel better about the relationships, great stress reliever. But so often that just falls pretty far down on our priority list to, to go do fun things together as a couple. So if you were to identify like the top three things that we could do right now, like after we're done with this podcast, get on the phone or we start texting our partners, what are like three things that you can say we can do today? to give the relationship a positive boost? Oh, number one would be retell your love story of how you met yeah. and why you why you fell in love in the first place. And remembering that can help rekindle a lot of those emotions and remind you why it's worth sticking in there and getting through the tough times. Uh, number two would be practice reflective listening. So often when we talk to the other person, we just want to express our viewpoint, show that you can actually listen by just repeating back what they say. Oh, so you say you had a rough day at work. Your boss said this, and, and this is how you replied. And uh, you're thinking about having a meeting about it tomorrow. Did I get all that right? If you just listen to other people more, it would it would make a huge difference. So I think listening would be another one. And a third one would be to uh, assume goodwill. So often we think if our partner is 10 minutes late, it's because they don't care about us take a breath and say, what's an alternative way to look at this? Maybe they had a stressful day. Maybe yeah. they're doing the best they can. And maybe when they say these things, it's not really meant to hurt us. It's just because of something going on in their own lives. But if we just assumed goodwill, things would get a lot better too. And we'd be more compassionate. I love that. Assume goodwill, you know, like see the glasses half full in a certain right. sense, right? Right. Well, this has been great. And, you know, as always, I love I love talking with you on the show. I love sharing what you're up to, all your fabulous lists, the do's and the don'ts. And to learn more about Amy Morin, please go to amymorinlcsw.com. On Twitter, that handle is the same at amymorinlcsw. On Facebook and Instagram, Amy Morin Author. We're talking about Amy's newest book, 13 Things Mentally Strong Couples Don't Do, Fix What's Broken, Develop Healthier Patterns, and Grow Stronger Together. Also check out Amy's podcast, Mentally Stronger. Amy, as always, thanks for hanging out with me. Thank you so much for letting me be here today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen on behalf of my guest, Amy Morin, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember... 
Happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to one another. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes from our mental muscle toning libraries at HarvestingHappinessTalkRadio.com, Toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about my global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced by me, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, Andrea Mangeli, Robin Boyd, Andrea Daly, and the awesome team at Podfly Productions, including Eric Begay, Kimberly Beck, and Alec Gus, in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU Radio Malibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.